are in the quarterfinals. It's just a question of who they'll face. Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast in France at the Rugby World Cup. A bit of a break for the Wales squad, 13 days off after that amazing victory over Australia. So we'll go behind the scenes, start turning our attention to the future and the women's challenges in the WXV. First, the second part of our chat with strength and conditioning coach John Ashby as we go behind the scenes in the Welsh camp and find out much more about the background work which has got Wales to the quarterfinals. One thing that's come through all the press conferences the last month or so, they've all been asked about the fitness, obviously, and the one thing that's coming shining through is they're all saying we're the fittest we've ever been, even the ones who four years ago thought they were the fittest oh, they'd yeah. ever been then. Yeah, it's um, it's very lucky. Like, we've, for credit to the players, really, like, we have worked them very, very hard. And like we said, the benefit of having them for a long amount of time as well is that we have a long amount of time to work with them as well. So we started, I think it was mid-May maybe, with majority of the guys because um, they had their four weeks off after regions came with us so we had a good base so basically our plan was we had five weeks of mini camps we called them so basically they worked they came in about seven o'clock they did weights and they did conditioning till about and then they had food and they gone by one but they worked very hard in that period and we called it bulletproof basically making themselves ready for when to went to Switzerland. So uh, my boss, so Hugh Bennett, head of physical performance, we had a big team as well. So there's Hugh Bennett, head of physical performance, I'm a conditioning coach, Robin Sodatel is a conditioning coach. We have a sports scientist, Ryan Chambers, nutritionist, Chris Edwards. And we also had uh, sprint coach Sam Campbell came in for that mini camp period as well to focus on some speed when we had quality to do it. and. Um, we also had Josh Robertson who came in and worked with the Ospreys, he just came in to help us out as well. So big numbers on the ground because it was a big conditioning focus as well. Um, and then we, it basically all built ourselves up for Switzerland. So Hugh uses the analogy of a wave effect where it's a small wave in mini camps preparing for a bigger wave to Switzerland, bigger wave and now we're at the, the peak of the wave for the World Cup. So Switzerland was, yeah, that's, that was my baby and I sort of I did the logistics for that as well. So we can talk about that as well. But that was sort of like a big overload camp for us. So biggest conditioning emphasis as well so large training volumes hard working overloading as well with the altitude that we can talk about later there's one of the hardest camps and then they had another wave of energy built into turkey turkey built to uh, pre-season matches and now we're in peak condition well we like to think anyway <laughs> well the logistics for Swissland because as you say you're balancing the altitude with yeah you know, where they're staying all the, you've got to get all the kit up to altitude yeah. as well and all the training so with stuff, switzerland right? that was sort of from a logistical point of view um it's probably one of the hardest things we've done so with majority of sort of camps and hotels and training facilities it's all built for rugby so you know for example when we went to turkey it's just everything's there it's a sports facility you have your you have your recovery you have your gym you have your pitch everything's done but switzerland because from a boring geeky point of view because i'm a geek <laughs> with um the physiology of it so the reason we went to switzerland is that theory called live high train low so what most endurance runners do they live in the mountains and they train in the mountains called live high train high and the rationale behind it is is that when you train train and live at altitude there's less oxygen in the air so you have to work harder there's a thing called red blood cells and hemoglobin hemoglobin carries your oxygen if you live about for two weeks around an altitude you actually have an increase in your mass of hemoglobin so more hemoglobin more hemoglobin you have more oxygen you can carry the fitter you are 
cardiovascularly, aerobically. But the issue is, is that obviously marathon runners train they perform at a fairly low intensity so they're not sprinting that type of stuff with rugby it's quite an intermittent sport so high bouts of high intensity work you see the guys working in the match and fiji sprints hard rucks hard contacts so if you train at altitude you can't train at the intensity that you need to so that's why you train low so you have to train uh, lower at much lower altitude so you can have the benefits of haemoglobin mass increase where you live at altitude but you can still train the intensity that you need for rugby so that's the basic premise so once you know that, finding an actual place where you can do it is very hard. So there's not many places in the in the world basically that do it, um, the training facilities. So we found it about it was 2013 actually. We found it, and one of the guys we've worked with, consultants in Switzerland, found it, and it's basically it's basically a ski resort. So we take over the whole place basically it's only a small ski resort in the winter and it's called uh, Fiesch if I'm pronouncing that right and at the bottom of Fiesch it's about 1100 meters so it's low altitude they have a football pitch a football club football pitch and um, so we train on there it's low altitude so we get the decent um, sort of training benefits from training at decent intensity and then we had use the ski gondola to go up to up the mountain where we're about 2300 meters so then we can live at altitude so from a logistical point of view there's no training facilities there there was no gym it's a small pitch there's no real proper rugby accommodation so what we actually did was we basically took over the whole mountain so um where the place is it's a it's a children's outdoor pursuits residence vehicle for kids in the holidays where they go there so their youth hostel was the main thing. We, uh, we use that as our team room. So we had their food there. So we have a chef, Andre Moore as well. He's fantastic, so he's a godsend in Switzerland. So um, people don't understand the nutrition and food amounts that you need for rugby players, just the sheer quantity of guys that they have and the frequency of their meal times. So Andre was there and sort of, um, sort of mentored all the chefs there, our requirements as well, it's a godsend really. So we had that and then, one, uh, all the players lived in a ski chalet, it's basically a ski hotel that you go when you go skiing and the staff members lived everything and everything was in about 100 metres of each other and then the guys used to go down the gondola and then train on the pitch, go back up the gondola, live, live at the top. So it's an amazing place but we had to basically move up because there wasn't any equipment up there for rugby so at the Vale we got an Arctic lorry filled it up with um, all the kit so from an S&C point of view we had to build a gym so we rented a gym from Wales because um, we have now we have multiple teams at the Vale as well. We don't have a spare gym or anything so you couldn't like just that. Take couldn't one just, out couldn't and just leave take it because obviously you've got the women, you've got the twenties, you've got the twenties, sevens, everything, and we yep. need to we need to sort of resource them as well. So we rented a gym from a company in Clefley, um called Equip for Gyms. Um, we used Owen's sort of haulage again from Clefley as well. So we chucked everything on. We did a list. Um, five squat racks, lots of equipment, probably about 10 tonnes of worth of stuff. And brought it over an Arctic lorry, that got sent over. Then we had to organise people to build a gym in a tennis centre. So basically there's three, an indoor tennis centre with three courts. We took over the whole lot for the two weeks. One was the gym, we had wooden flooring on so we didn't break the tennis centre. We had to send guys out there to build the gym for us. So we came out there and then we used one bit of the t uh, another tennis court for sort of skills and stuff like that and sort of movement based stuff ballistic stuff the SNC so we took over the whole tennis centre as well and then we had an advanced party so it was myself and about seven others that came over the day before um, the main squad came over just to do the last picks as well rugby equipment all the rugby equipment came out there all the medical equipment came out with the nutrition so the medical team as well they had to bring uh, so that Pramathema John Mars Ben Sterling Carlos Morris Chloe we had to bring all their medical equipment there so it's basically complete moving of stuff there um, but it was worth it just from the benefits we got there as well and um, I think the coaches were happy with that camp yeah
the first World Cup in 1987, I think there were two coaches, a team manager and a kit man. Yeah. Alan Phillips, who went on to be team manager, yeah. went out as a replacement hooker. I think he did press-ups on the plane. That was his pre-World yeah. Cup warm-up yeah. routine, just a few press-ups on the, on the plane. I mean, can you imagine the old days, given what you're doing now? It's Ooh. incredible contrast, isn't it? It is, it is. It's just sort of um, the benefit of professionalism, really. It's just that when you have professionalism, you sort of like, you have the money and resources to sort of think about the things now, and obviously just the game develops so much. So I can say from a physical performance department, we're always trying to look at the next thing. Obviously we have altitude room, the heat room, we have cryotherapy back at the Vale as well. So there's all, with the research and stuff, there's always something to do. And it's not that the amateur era couldn't do it, they just didn't have the resources all the time. So we have full-time staff to think about all these things all the time. The amateur era, they just didn't have that, unfortunately. So that's probably the main reasons as well. And so that's why you see sort of the sizes of players, the fitness of players, um, because we have the resources and time to put it into them. And we come to something like a World Cup. I was interested, even Talupe Falatau was looking at this World Cup and thinking, I've got to take this in more. Do you get a chance to get out yeah. and about yeah. and take in the experience of being yeah, part of yeah. this? We're very lucky. So in a typical match week, we would um, say if the game's been on Saturday and the following game's a Saturday, so a seven-day turnaround, which is most normal, we would probably fly the next day on the Sunday. So we'd do recovery in the morning, fly. We'd, we'd train Monday and Tuesday, and then we'd have Wednesday off. So the players have that to themselves, really. So, yeah, they've been quite a lot. Some of the players went to Monaco, probably. Some went to Cannes. The staff, I always try and get out as well and take it in. So, um, yeah, go to Cannes, that type of thing. The key thing as well with the players is that what um, we've probably stressed this week is because it's a short turnaround, six-day turnaround, is to probably to not to do too much on their day off as well because obviously go to Monaco you do a lot of walking that type of stuff so we've tried to sort of like hang around here nice and relaxed but not too much but generally people go for a walk so you're allowed to sort of have a look around do whatever you want really which is nice it's great to sample the culture and have a look around have a look at places I'm really glad to hear that because I was thinking you're looking up for the players and the ones off you might not get out and about I've, no. I've got one last question really and yep. this has always puzzled me at the end of the game yep you get the players out, some of them have played a bit more, some of them come on 78th minute. Yeah. What's the cut-off point? Because sometimes I look at the guys doing the running up and down and I think, poor so-and-so's been on for a while. Yeah. How long do they have to be on for it, to get out of the warm-up and yeah, warm-down? It's a bit of a grey area, really. So, usually it's around the 60-minute mark. So, if you've come on before 60, you're okay. But if you're not, but it, it comes down to sort of the distances that they've done, distances they've done. So again, Ryan, our sports scientist, um, he has a list of what they've done, distances they've done during the week, what distances they've done live from his laptop in the match. Um, and then what we, what our aim is as well, we, from a distance and a fitness point of view, we want them to roughly be in sync with the guys that have started and the non-squad boys. So they all, by the end of the end of the week by the end of Saturday would have roughly all done roughly the same distances the same high speed etc etc it's harder with subs because they prepare like they're starting we could do a bit more than we still to keep them fresh so it's called the famous dirt tracking session so it's the toughest session really because it's after after they've just played and they have to do more as well but it's more on the GPS than the time these days for example you may have a guy who's you know, he's only been on for 10 minutes, but he's just run around constantly, done a lot of distance and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, um, guys are great with it. It's a tough thing to get them motivated for, especially after a loss, but they're great. They just get on with it, really. That's great. Thanks for clearing that up for me. And yeah. well, thanks for the fascinating insight. Oh, pleasure. Everything that goes on behind the scenes. I just think it's a really good example of how we see the end product. Most people, myself included, have no real idea of the depth of what goes in behind. So thanks very much for your help. Pleasure.
Now let's turn our attention to Wales women as they prepare for the new WXV competition where they qualified in the top flight. A preparatory match against USA saw Wales beat their opponents in a test match for the first time. Afterwards, coach Yoan Cunningham spoke to Graham Gillespie. Yoan, uh, 38-18 at full time, you must be pretty pleased with that. Yeah, pleased with it. You know, it was challenging conditions. Uh, I thought we managed the game well. Uh, territory was really important for us and um, we dominated there. And I thought our forwards were excellent today and um, just, just pleased to get a, get a win as we progressed for WXV. In the opening 20 minutes, you dominated possession. Was it a concern you weren't actually try, you know, you weren't able to get over the line? Well, we spoke a lot about being patient, you know, and uh, and it will eventually come. So uh, I was pleased how we stuck at it, especially we were stuck in there 22 and camped there for about six minutes and finally we got a score, then another score. and uh, So I'm pleased with that, uh, the patience in our game and um, something that we can review this week. Yeah, and once you were on the front foot, someone like Jasmine Joyce came in the game more as well, didn't she? And particularly later in the first half. Yeah, you know, she showed glimpses of a sort of X-factor, didn't she? You know, she had the ball a couple of times at White Channel. You know, drew into defenders, put Lisa away for a try, and so um, you know, I'm sure on a on a dry day she'd be lethal. People at home wouldn't realise how bad these conditions were. I can tell you on, on online, it looks like a sunny day, but it's not like that, was it? No, the rain's been uh, uh, non-stop really, and it's, it's raining quite heavy, so the ball is greasy, so quite challenging to catch. And but that was one thing we wanted to do was was put the ball in their half and ask them to play, and I thought we thought we managed that very well. So obviously, when I on the WXV one. Did today make selection for some players easy or harder for you? No, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely made it a bit harder, which is good. You know, um, you know we had two new caps today in Nell and and Caris, um, and I thought they both went well. Caris, in particular, on the wing, Caris is excellent, and uh, so it's uh, it's good for us. You know, we're growing a bit more depth and great to have those headaches. Yeah, I was looking at the squad uh, before the game. Um, Obviously, we no longer have Alan or Snowsall, but to have someone like uh, Robin Cannon, who's still got like 65 or so caps, and Flaky George is behind her, you've got strength and depth right across the squad now, haven't you? Yeah, you know, and you, know, you forget how experienced Robin is sometimes, yeah. you know, and she's been around a long time, and we know the talent that Flaky's got, her skill set's excellent, and, um, you know, between those two tens, you know, we got an opportunity, they got an opportunity now to own that shirt after, after Ellen has done a great job in it. So looking forward to the WXV down in New Zealand? Yeah, you know, we can't wait. It's going to be a great challenge for us. It's exactly what we need. We've got to play you know, New Zealand, Canada, Australia as often as we can, you know, with that one eye on that 2025 World Cup. So it's going to be a great, uh, great tournament for us. Good luck. Thank you. Cheers, mate. You mentioned Jazz Joyce there, so let's hear from the star of 7s and 15s on the option of returning to the squad for the WXV. Yeah, it's amazing to be able to play 15s for Wales and come back on the back of a fantastic season that the girls have had but also to do that alongside playing sevens and, and playing on the circuit which I love doing is is fantastic and I have faith in all the staff all the management that they'll be able to pull me through um, to be able to play in WXV hopefully Six Nations if selected and then obviously Olympics if selected as well. You're living the dream aren't you seven circuit and now we're looking forward to hopefully a trip to New Zealand as well. <laughs> yeah going to New Zealand three times in within a year thing so Pretty, yeah, pretty carnish to be fair, but yeah, going to New Zealand again and competing back with the girls in, in the 15 setup is, yeah, is brilliant. And all I want to do is play as much rugby as possible, and that's what I'll be doing. Wales have done pretty well while you've been away, another great Six Nations. They've risen to uh, sixth in the world. I mean, I'm sure you kept an eye on them while you were on the seventh circuit. You know, how proud are you of the way they've. Uh, They've risen through the rankings and, and got to where they are. Yeah, I was definitely their biggest fan girl in all of their games. I only managed to um, catch one of them, which was England home. 
but I was yeah in the stand supporting them and it's fantastic to see the girls grow each year get better each year and to come third again was fantastic achievement for them and to finish off the Six Nations on the back of a fantastic win against Italy and to qualify for the, the top tier in WXV is fantastic and yeah I'm just so grateful to to be part of it and back in. Seeing those record crowds in Cardiff, you know, how excited are you that you, you might be able to experience that next year? Yeah, it was fantastic. And to be in the crowd, I was obviously supporting the girls fully, but there was definitely an element of, of jealousy of the girls running out with the crowds. There was fireworks and for them to put in a great performance against England as well. It was, yeah, there was definitely an element of I want to be there, but hopefully I'll get the opportunity to do that again. How excited are you for giving Union another crack now? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love being part of, of this setup. And now that there's so many contracted girls in and we're in Monday to Friday, say nine till five, it, it is fantastic. And to see the younger girls grow, but also the more experienced players get the opportunity to be full-time athletes and players is, is fantastic. And yeah, definitely, obviously, I, I loved my, my last year on the sevens, but also there was definitely an element of me wanting to to get back into 15s and WXV, fantastic new opportunity for us all. But also to sing the national anthem, the, the Welsh national anthem, sing it there in front of home crowd, away crowd, in front of your friends and family is definitely something I missed and hopefully looking forward to doing that again sometime. Are you putting your Olympic dream at a bit of a risk here? Not necessarily. I think we've had an opportunity as a hybrid player, us in Scotland have done the same, that we get an opportunity to play as much rugby as possible. I'm going to get a fantastic opportunity to play the best teams in the world in, in the WXV tournament, which is only going to make me a better rugby player, more experience, give me more exposure to playing against world-class players, but also being in an environment where I can get as much rugby as possible in and around experienced players is only going to make me a better rugby player. What have the coaches, the, the British coaches, said to you? Yeah, the British coaches, they know that at the moment, Great Britain, there's not enough training. We can't have enough training yet. So I think for us to go out and play as much rugby as possible and get fantastic facilities, the management we've got here with the, the physio, the coaches, everything we've got here is a fantastic opportunity for me to, to go play for Wales, get as much rugby as possible, but also then to come back into GB. And yeah, GB coaches have been fantastic with it. All they want to do as us as players is to get as much exposure in rugby to be as best as we can leading into an Olympic Games. And I guess you're going to be no different to all the Kiwis or the Australians who are probably going to be doing both as well, I think. Yeah, I don't know what, what they're up to, but yeah, I would I would think so. There's just such a big gap between the last World Series leg to the first one, I think it is, from May to November, December time. So there's a huge gap there that if we don't play rugby in five, six months, naturally we're, we're going to come in not at our best. So... Yeah, for everyone else to have an opportunity to play in these these tournaments is just going to make us, us better rugby players. So you go to World 15, then you have, what, two or three weeks on the circuit? Yeah, so go to WXV and then when come back, not really sure what my plan is, but then the first leg for the World Series is Dubai, mm. Cape Town, a doubleheader in November time, which again, hopefully if selected, I'll be, be going to that as well. Get married just before Christmas time. So yeah, again, another fantastic milestone in my life um which i'm yeah really looking yeah. forward to but i guess the big question with the sevens is can you do better than fourth place in the last two it must have been must have creased you to finish just outside the medals yeah i think everyone says in it fourth place is definitely one of the worst places you'd finish it's it's not in the medals but no one remembers who come fourth place no one remembers who come last so yeah like obviously my dream 
And my goal since going to the first Olympics is to go and medal. After my career, I want to say I've got an Olympic medal. So for, yeah, for us to hopefully go out and do that and I have full confidence in in the programme, the setup, and all the girls that are going to be involved that we're going to go out there and, and get a medal. But yeah, hard work starts now and continue to do that, play well on the circuit and have a good season with both 15s and then 7s as well. So that's interesting and encouraging. Lots more from the south of France next week after Wales face Georgia and start preparing for the quarterfinals in Marseille. But until then, goodbye.